If you don't sit in your lucky seat, your team could lose. So don't leave your lucky seat. But do pick up your phone or computer and order B-dubs to go. Or if you've got a big group, call in for the party menu. That way you can order wings, pick them up, and get back to your lucky seat. And if you do lose while sitting in your lucky seat, you can still feel lucky eating your feelings. Spicy feelings. Keep your superstitions. We do it for you. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. Prices and participation vary. See participating locations for details. Void were prohibited. Blog Talk Radio. Live to see it, friends. I'm Phil Bowermaster, and you're listening to Fast Forward Radio on the Blog Talk Radio Network. Fast Forward Radio is an audio production of the Speculist weblog, and as with the Speculist on Fast Forward Radio, we talk about the future, we talk about emerging technologies, we talk about cool stuff that is happening now and that's coming down the pipe. And on this kind of special edition tonight, we're going to be talking about the year in review. And with me on the program, I have Stephen Gordon. Hello, Stephen. Hey, how are you, Phil? I'm great. How are you doing? Great. Holidays treating you all right? Okay, we're surviving. <laughs> all right. Got through them. Got through them. Okay. Well, you know what? You still got one more to get through, actually. Oh well, th- this one's the th- this one's fun from here forward. That can be hard. To <laughs> the work is done. Them. The work is done for for parents of uh, of, of many kids like like myself. Uh, it, uh, Christmas is work, but uh, yeah, but New Year's is fun. New Year's is uh, relatively. Uh, Labor. A little bit of light in the work. L- lesser on the labor, for sure, absolutely. Yeah. And we also have PJ Manny with us. Hello, PJ. Hello, gentlemen. How are you? Very well now, thank you. <laughs> Good. Very well now. Now, help us through the now. What's what's up? Uh, um, I've just gotten over pneumonia and have been all by myself these holidays. But oh. uh, my family's coming back from the Midwest tomorrow, and I'm very happy. And the reason you were by yourself in the holidays is because they. Y'all had planned to travel together, but you couldn't because you were sick. Is that right? Absolutely. My doctor forbid me to fly the day before we were all supposed to go. And uh, my husband has a not unsurprising horror of the idea of me in a rural Wisconsin hospital. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That could be scary. And so you chose to uh, stay in relatively mild climes of Southern California. Actually, you live in the Bay Area, is that right? No, I live in Southern California. Southern California, that's right. Uh, And and we've been having um, not so mild weather for us, quite uh, chilly and windy. I mean, we've actually gone all the way down to 40. Oh, my God. Uh, (laughs) Get out the parka. Get out the parka. But compared to uh, one of the places they were was Minneapolis, where it was zero, I think I'm doing pretty well here. Yeah, it's probably it probably was wise that she stayed, but it it not a good time of the year to be alone. That's not any fun. No, and a new feeling. I've never been alone for the holidays before, right. um, especially since I do have a, a family with kids and, and have gone through all the same things you are. Yeah. Uh, you know, I probably got sick because <laughs> running around and having to find the gifts and do this and do that and. It can yeah. be exhausting, can it? Getting ready for getting ready for the holiday. Well, but and all of the concerts and the presentations right. and the projects that they have due at the end of the semester and you know December. You know, do you guys have jobs? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know how anybody does it. Yeah, it can it's, be very it, tricky. It yeah, very it, tricky. the time management is a big thing in December. Seems like, and and but the worst of that's beyond us. And in New Year's, just New Year's the fun time. So yeah, I'm. 
glad to have that much done. Yeah, all the all the uh, have all the hustle and bustle behind us. Well, I, I can tell you, I I can I can definitely commiserate with the uh, pneumonia thing. I had that uh, a few years ago when I was actually I was living overseas and uh, caught it. Well, I don't know if you catch it. I don't know how you get pneumonia, but uh, the I was living in uh, I was living in Malaysia, and at the time there was uh, this uh, process going on on uh, the Isle island of borneo they were burning the peat bogs and this unbelievable haze had settled over the city and everybody was just like wearing surgical masks around and stuff and i don't know i guess i spent uh one or two many days out walking in it and uh, i ended up uh, contracting pneumonia and spent about uh, two weeks in bed just feeling really sick so oh uh, yeah it's, it's a bad deal it I, I guess bad. where i was going with that was pneumonia a bad deal <laughs> yeah Amen. All right. hey, no arguments phil <laughs> <laughs> but it sounds like for you, PJ, at least you got to finally get some rest after. Uh... Got some, definitely got rest. Um, tried to do some work, of, although my laptop in bed ate my uh, revisions on my book. So uh, naughty oh. laptop, I almost threw it out the window. <laughs> um, but other than that, we're we're good. Well, I can tell a laptop story too, but I'm gonna I'm gonna hold off on that. Uh, Actually, that, that can circle through on the holiday stuff. One thing I wanted to check in with you on, Stephen, is tell us about uh, LSU versus Ohio State. What's going on with that? Well, on January the 7th, there's a big bowl game down in New Orleans, and they're playing for the national championship, uh, LSU versus Ohio State. And so you know where I'll be on January the 7th. I'll be, I'll be well, You'll no, be yeah, I won't be in New Orleans. Yeah. I'll be watching it on my TV. <laughs> yeah. I'll be in my living room enjoying uh, enjoying the game. But uh, it's a... Uh, um, yeah, I'm I'm excited about that. There was a, there was a time uh, not too long ago, like a couple of weeks ago, that I I was sure uh, that they were out of the running, but it, it worked out that they won just the right number of times against the right teams, and and then the, and then uh, some teams that weren't expected to lose lost, and and so it it just it it just uh, was fortunate in there. They're, they're going to be in the bowl game. So anyway, that's kind of like the Rockies. Yeah, and they went through that incredible experience getting into the uh, World Series. But let's hope. Let's, let's we can LSU's stop our discussion uh, at the yeah, World Series. His yeah. <laughs> uh, experience at the bowl will be uh, better than the Rockies. Oh well, you know, um, it, it, like, it's it's an honor that uh, the Rockies made it as far as they did, and, and LSU feels honored, I'm sure now. But they want to win the game, obviously. So. <laughs> okay, well, go go Tigers. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and uh, whoever's playing. Uh, uh, New England in the first playoff game, but we don't want to start all that stuff, so we'll, we'll shy away from the NFL. I think at this point, living in Denver, there's really not an awful lot to talk about about the NFL anyway. So we'll just keep moving along. We got a lot. Uh, we got a lot to talk about. Yeah, I did want to give one uh, post-holiday laptop story here, and I don't know if, if you guys have ever encountered anything like this. I mean, PJ, you were talking about yours. Yours died on you. You said was it the hard disk went out, or what happened? I'm still trying to figure out exactly what happened, but because our wireless network, we have a server um, set up, for some reason, it was uh, the, the software was asking me to save it in a way that it never asked to be saved before. It seemed suspicious to me, but I went along with it. That was probably my biggest mistake. And somehow all those say automatically saved revisions disappeared down a rabbit hole I now can't find. Oh. And I thought I've, you know, I, I've looked under every rock. Um, so I, I, I would encourage you to get a computer technician to look at that. Uh, there might be something that's retrievable there that you don't, you just don't know how to get to. Right. Uh, that's probably the case. 
it's I would hope. You know, probably right. Keep your fingers crossed on that. But have you ever noticed though that when you, you the laptop goes out, the hard drive crashes or whatever, that in, within your mind, whatever it was that you were working on was the great. It becomes the great American novel or <laughs> whatever it is that you lost is is priceless and, and, and irretrievable for all time. Oh, uh, absolutely. Well, in fact, I what happened is for Christmas I got this beautiful new Sony Vio laptop that I'm just completely in love with and very excited about. And my big problem here is um, with Vista, I was able to easily move all my settings over, but I can't move my applications over. So I'm looking for, well, how do I, how do I get all my programs over onto the new computer? You know, this is always this problem. And I'm thinking, well, I don't have all the installed disks anymore. I don't have the serial numbers anymore. This is, you know, this is how they make you buy new software, right? It's like, right. I, I don't have, I don't have a good way of doing this, but I actually do because I have uh Drive clone software. I've put in. I've actually had the back off this thing and put new hard disks into my old laptop before. So I'm like, you know, I, you know, by my terms, kind of a computer wizard here, right? Because I can actually take a hard disk off and put another one in, and you know, make a backup clone drive and and and, and back it up on. And, and so and so, I think I'm pretty brilliant. He's bragging now, PJ. Well, I can tell. It, <laughs> but pride goeth before you know what. And so. so, so <laughs> I get this thing, uh, I, I, I get the clone made, and I'm like, well, I don't know, I don't really want to, you know, Vista, this this computer has all this cool stuff, so I clone that, too. I've got two external hard disks, I'm like, I'm cloning everything, right? I'll, I'll clone what's uh, on the new one, I'll clone what's on the old one, I'm going to copy the clone of the old one onto the new one and run all my programs and everything on the old one, and then maybe slowly but surely copy stuff from the, from the backup of the new one, blah, blah, blah. So, um, somewhere in the process of all that brilliance, the the backup of every image that I've ever put on the Speculist got erased. Okay, oh so it's like my whole graphics file for like what, what have we got? Four plus years, five years? Yeah, however long we've been doing. We, this. We, I think we uh, you started and I, and I joined you about three or four months after that in 2004. Yeah, I, yeah. yeah, I started in uh, yeah. 2000, did I start in 2004 or 2003? Yeah. Um, well, I think you actually had a couple of uh, a couple of test posts up in uh, late 2003. That's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, actually, yeah, I think I think so. Yeah. Anyway, so anyway, this is a lot of graphics, and they're all gone. Of course, they're not really gone because they're still up on the site. But but it's like this, this was my local copy of all of those. Uh, you but know. I have a question that doesn't make any sense to me. Don't you have backup? <laughs> well, that's a good question, PJ. Actually, as a matter of fact, I cloned over my backup. That was the thing. Uh, my, I had outgrown this hard disk, so I was keeping um, I was keeping some of these files on this external disk. And then I got, you know, mucking around with external disks and like, well, here I'll put a clone here, I'll put a clone there. And it's like, oh, do you want to erase all that? I'm like, yeah, I can erase all that. And then I go downstairs and I'm watching TV and I go. No, not all that. Ah! <laughs> you rush back upstairs. Yeah, well, yeah, it's like two hours later. You know, I'm watching The Good Shepherd. I'm about two hours into a three-hour movie. When I realize what I've done, I come back up. Of course, it's, it's oh, man. <laughs> you know, uh, it's, it's where you want the AI. You want it to go, wait, you mean you're sure you want it? Do you know what this is? Do you realize what you're... <laughs> oh, you know, man. Something, there's, there's, an, there's an odd synchronicity here. I was watching The Good Shepherd when my <laughs> when, uh, my oh, when your laptop went down, <laughs> mm, okay, and, it's, and this is a, and this is like a, weird. Yeah, this is a this movie about CIA and all sorts all sorts of covert things. I'm absolutely, tricks, and, counterintelligence. Absolutely. And don't you do tales of the paranormal? <laughs> yeah, that's right. I think we 
Stephen, can you? Oh, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. oh I'm, I'm I'm slow on it uh, tonight, guys. I was not anywhere close to having it. <laughs> That's okay. We're still talking. Okay. <laughs> do, 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 do. <laughs> Find it. Hit it. Oh, slowly but surely. <laughs> okay, Thank well, that's you. Marcus. The odd link between Good Shepherd. Good Shepherd. <laughs> I had to remember. And people's laptops crashing. How bizarre. Mm, oh, Lost well. files and the Good Shepherd. Man, that's, hey, good instincts there, PJ, for uh, yeah, bringing that up. Well, I tell you, I'm, I, I haven't seen the movie. I heard it's great, but uh, I'm not. I'm not going to do anything with my laptop. Uh, uh, you know, the day prior to watching it, I would go see it in a friend's house. Yeah, let his laptop crash. That's what I would recommend. Yeah, that's it, great. I, I actually can recommend it. I, I was impressed. What did you think, Phil? Oh, yeah, I thought it was really cool. I, you know, very... I thought it was very accurate, surprisingly accurate, of uh, you know, how that, that world worked, the kinds of guys that were attracted to it, um, the development of the CIA. I thought it was quite good in that regard. Yeah, I mean, historically, I don't know any of that. So I, yeah, I, I, that was my question. Is it going to yeah, be accurate? word for it that it's accurate. But it's, it, to, to me, it's astounding to think that... Uh, Basically, a college fraternity has been kind of setting our intelligence policy for our, our, our country. I guess pretty much running our country, it looks like. Basically. I was going to say, uh, given who's in the White House right now, I'd say still still running our country. Right. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's... The, Skull and... Uh, was it Skull and... Skull and Bones. Yeah, but Skull you know, Bones. I had Kerry yeah. one. He was a member, too. I mean, yeah. that, that's, that, right. that's how they're playing it, right? They've got... They've they got both sides, yes. Well, so... so we got... We got laptops shutting down, and we got paranoid conspiracy theories going on. Oh, we're, we're awesome tonight. Hey, uh, <laughs> PJ, have you seen Beowulf? That, that's a movie that we had meant to talk about, and Phil finally got around to seeing it. But no, unfortunately, I haven't seen it yet. Oh, okay. Well, I thought we might get into that a little bit. Well, I was going to ask you, Phil, do you think it's a better movie uh, than than the original uh, poem, as far as the story goes? Do I think Beowulf is a better movie than the original poem is a poem? Uh, okay. The, the original poem, obviously, is the old English-type version of the story. Okay, right. mm-hmm. And uh, I, my question is, they've made some changes to the story uh, to make a movie out of it. And I, I, was, I actually thought that the changes to the story might have made it a better story, which is saying a lot when you're talking about something that's like what? Uh, a thousand years old. Yeah, well, I think as consumers of entertainment, right? Uh, yeah, the, what they what they did it, with with Beowulf was they were as true to the original narrative as they po- could possibly be, and yet added this whole other dimension of uh, of a story. So I, I, I thought that I thought that uh, for PJ's sake and for the sake of our audience, we probably should tell a little bit about it. With let's give it all away. Well, minor spoiler warnings. Uh, you you know, for those of you who want to see it. You know, with completely without any spoiler warnings, you might want to turn your radio down or, or you know, shoot your speakers down just for well, a if, second. If, okay, for one thing, if you've seen the trailer, you know that Angelina Jolie plays Grendel's mother. Yeah, which... And if you've read the poem, you know that in the poem, Grendel's mother was not originally hot. Okay. <laughs> yeah. so, Far from it, she was a, a monstrous beast, uh, but uh, obviously Angelina Jolie is not... A monstrous beast it brings, but, it brings in a lot more box office gentlemen than a monstrous beast does. Well, yeah, there was, you go, exactly. And and there, and you're not going to waste an opportunity like that. You're not going to have, a, you know, a, an animated version of Angelina Jolie walking around essentially naked for all of her scenes and not have anything develop between her and some of the other characters without saying who or what that means. But yeah, it just goes without saying that that's going to happen. 
Well, it's just, uh, you know, there's sort of this Oedipal thing going on because of that relationship, and um, it's just, it's to me, it's a more compelling story because of it, and, and the power of seduction and evil to seduce and all this, I mean, the power of evil to seduce good people to do bad things, I, I, you know, I, I just thought it was made as a good story, and, and it was made it even more interesting than yeah, the, It definitely added a dimension, I thought. Yeah. For yeah. sure. It, anyway, I feel like if we go too much further in talking about it, we'd, we'd give too much away for those who want to see it. So, Well, I, I just saw a movie. This I still haven't gotten to see I Am Legend, which I, I was hoping that we'd finally get to talk about. Hey, Stephen, have you seen it? I have not. And, uh, no, PJ, you've seen it. Yes. Yes. And did you recommend it highly, or uh, were you on the no, fence it about it? Middle, it was a middling. Yeah. I would, I, I would give it a middling review. Well, that, that and that's almost disappointing after the huge build-up in the in what ten years in development. Yeah. <laughs> it was, that, that that movie's been around forever. Though, trying to get it uh, made. Oh, absolutely, and and it's the fourth one of them. But I'm sure PJ, you can tell you that sometimes they tell us that the longer they take, the better they ain't, right? I mean, that doesn't. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it, it, it's good. yeah. The the amount of of people involved in the making of that movie, it, it definitely. The more people involved, the the less quality is usually how it works. Hmm. That's a shame. Well, I, but it, it was compelling at times, though, right? Oh, absolutely. There were there were sequences that were fantastic. Uh, Will Smith is marvelous. Um, the dog is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, no joke. It's, it's you know, if they could give awards to dogs, they should give one to to this one. And there are aspects of it that are wonderful. But I had a huge problem with not just the conception of the creatures, the the altered humans, uh, who are now like these vampire, this vampiric species, but also the their their physicality, the CGI of them was awful. Yeah. And really, no excuse. Um, when you say it was awful, you mean like you didn't buy it? You oh, didn't... it just they made them cheesy. Oh, uh-huh. they just looked cheesy. Uh, and there were these moments where because New York is gone back to the wild and you assume that animals have left the zoos and have you know migrated back down from the mountains north of the city etc uh so he's stalking in the high grass of times square uh deer and these lions appear who you can only assume have come out of either central park or the bronx zoo right and they didn't need to cgi completely these lions they could have could have absolutely uh, blue screened these lions, but no, they actually, you know, constructed them uh, with computer graphics, and they just don't look right. They they look like fake lions. They look like fake lions. You know, we, who needs a fake lion? They didn't have to have a fake lion. <laughs> yeah, In the old days, real lions, and it looked good. Well, we know what lions look like, and we know what people look like, and so when you CGI those things, it's the uncanny valley. Yeah, that's the problem. Yeah. Um, if you're if you're messing with reality as we know it, you either have to make it flawless or you have to make it so not reality that the audience can safely, you know, Gollum is a perfect example of that. I mean, Gollum is an exquisite character right. when it comes to CGI, uh, partially because he doesn't look human, but he's just human enough to gain our our empathy right but he's not so human that we sort of pick him apart yeah well that, that's what i thought was interesting about beowulf and i think you had mentioned this Stephen, was that 
they seem to have made it to the other side of the Uncanny Valley with that one. Because At times. The it, it human characters, it. you just feel like you're watching a movie. I mean, it's just like there's Anthony Hopkins on screen. You don't feel like you're watching a CGI of him necessarily. Right? That's right. And there's and there's no shots in, in the entire movie of Beowulf that were, uh, like, shot with a camera, you know, they didn't, they didn't go to Scandinavia and, and, and shoot, you know, film for this movie. All of it, every bit of it was uh, CGI, the entire movie. And, uh, and so... But they did so well that at times you you forget that you're watching uh, animation. It looked photorealistic at times. You know, obviously the you know the 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 point the points that we had a problem with that is probably the, the close-ups where the people are talking to one another, and it's, you know that just it's it's really really hard to make that work. You know, so it's as micro it's as facial micro movements. It's also yeah. the eyes. Eyes are one of the hardest things to get. They look that. dead sometimes, or they look like they're exactly. blind or something. They're not. The eyes are not focusing in ways that you would expect living eyes to focus. And yeah, that's that's a problem. They, and um, I remember what's well, Polar Express. Uh, they tried, to, you know, they tried to do something similar with that, but the, it was it was the eyes and and some of the you know facial movements were the real problems that they had trouble picking up. So. Yeah, I was right. just, just watching the Polar Express the other day, and I was thinking about that criticism had been leveled against that movie. And you can really see it in scenes. There, there are times when you, you just are kind of jarred away from the story, which is a wonderful story. I mean, it's a great book, right? It's a great children's One book. One of my favorite, my kids' favorite books, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I love that book. Oh, I love the end. You get oh. <laughs> Spoiler warning here, okay? You get, exactly. to that, you get to that last line of the book. And I remember the first time I read that to my daughter, I literally got choked up when I got to that last line of the book. So this is, and just a beautiful design, just a beautiful book, and really ambitious to make that into a movie, but where it kind of falls down a few times is when you're watching it and suddenly you're going, what, dude, that little girl looks kind of creepy, you know? Well, they, they get that demonic thing going. It's exactly, the, yeah. It, I, I don't trust that little damn. girl. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and it kind of ruins, and then you like her again, of course, but, you know. Well, you know, I suppose a good thing is that, uh, you know, in 20 years they can do an update. You know, they'll do something like what they did with the Star Wars movies, but this time it'll actually will be better. Oh yeah, that's that's an interesting idea. They might do that. So listen, while we're on the topic of movies, let's and let's let's keep our let's keep our year in review theme here a little bit. So what was our top speculist choice of movies for 2007? Any, any, anybody have a particular uh, title or titles that uh, are particular high quality? movies that deal with our kinds of topics, or were there any this year? I'm, I'm actually racking my brain now trying to think. Yeah, I'm trying to rack my brain, too, and, and, and I'm, I'm not coming up too well. Huh. Yeah. I, last I, year, last year, I mean, uh, to me, still, Children of Men is... Oh, that you know, was got to go a long, long way to surpass that. That that has got to be one of the best movies of this kind of subject matter made. Oh, yes. That, I, I agree. I, I wrote a review of that for the... The there's about there's 20 minutes near the end of that movie that just absolutely blows me away. Oh yeah. Um, and nothing uh, nothing has uh, as far as the amount of uh, of, of uh, realistic violence, uh, wartime realistic violence, nothing touches it except for maybe Saving Private Ryan. And that single shot, the fact that that single tracking shot that he does, he goes into the building and around the building and through the building and out of the building and. It's at one uninterrupted shot 
which I just I have no idea how they did that. From a technical standpoint, that. I, I, truly, I you know I, I remember watching the theater, and both my husband and I, our jaws went slack. At the same time, we sort of looked at each other at the corner of our eyes and laughed because we couldn't believe it. It was I can only imagine the unbelievable amount of rehearsals. It must have taken days to rehearse that. Oh, you would yeah it, yeah you would think. And how do you do that without injuring your actors uh, or you know? I, I, I just don't understand how, how they managed to do that because, you know, it, it sure bullets aren't really flying, but uh, you got you got explosive charges. You there are explosive charges everywhere, right? To do what they did, and um, and how do you keep from putting cement in his eye or something? You know, I mean, I, to me, it was uh, it was incredible. Well, what really made that movie work for me? I mean, in addition to the fact, just good performances and technically brilliant movie making, and I'm not a big dystopian guy i gotta say you know if you're gonna if you're gonna give me a dystopian future i'm i normally i'm gonna prefer a cheesy one like uh i am legend because right. i think those are those are more <laughs> entertaining and because uh, i tend to go with the future will be a good place future will be a fun thing but uh kind of kind of view of the world but um in the middle of that combat that you were describing Stephen. this and, and it's exactly what I was thinking. I was thinking, man, this is this is as intense as Saving Private. That's exactly what I was thinking when I was watching it. It's like Normandy Beach, that sequence. Yeah. Like you're almost reliving that. In the middle of that, and I don't want to spoil the end of the movie for anybody who's not watching, so I won't say exactly what it is. Everything stops out of reverence for human life. Yeah. In this in this one just moment where you know it just it it all stops because suddenly every, nobody wants to fight for a minute. Yeah. And that is. Just one of the most amazing things I've ever seen, and and what really was great was I totally bought it. Oh yeah, because exactly. it, the whole movie had built it up to that point. It, right. it was it, it was it was a uh, it was a payoff that was much deserved. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. and, and it, it reminded me. I mean, uh, uh, you know, uh, it was a it was a nativity moment. You know, it yeah. was it, it was definitely a, a Joseph Mary, you know, Jesus, and in, in, in the manger kind of moment. It, it was awesome. It was awesome. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a gripping uh, gripping moment. So so our best movie of uh, 2007 was actually from 2006. <laughs> yeah, we're still we're still so blown away that we can't we can't think of anything. Well, else. was it this year? Was the uh, uh, the uh, Emma Thompson, Will Ferrell, uh, she's writing his life movie? Was that this year or was that last year? That was this year, I th- I think. Yeah, okay. that was this year. Earlier this year, I uh, would I, I would count that one as a as a. Uh, Speculist uh, contender for uh, for, for you know I had an opportunity to watch that on cable in bed this week as well and I and I missed it so now you're telling me I have to actually watch it oh yeah you want you want to watch it's not your typical Will Ferrell movie it it's really not you know well I just watched Elf the other day speaking of non typical Will Ferrell movies but but uh, it's a very different uh, very very different kind of role for him and it it deals with this whole question of what's real and what 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 layer of reality are we experiencing? What level of reality are we experiencing? Of course, we talk about this notion that the, the universe we live in might actually be a simulation. Mm, yeah. Well, this this movie isn't specifically dealing with that, but it does to the extent that... Um, well, it's the literary simulation. Right. That's you know, the idea. Yeah, yeah exactly. Artists, right. artists are the original creators of simulated universes. They did it before... I mean, that's where it all started, right? The, a, a novelist creates a simulated world, right? And it's just that uh, in this story, somehow the world she's created and the world she's living in have somehow oddly overlapped, and it's uh, 
you know, to to great comedic effect, and yet to more serious effect as you as you get a little bit deeper into the story. I, I thought it was. Uh, There's uh, a little glitch in the universe, I guess, and that's how it happened, huh? One of those glitches. A little, in the little glitch in the simulation. Isn't that in the Matrix? They say when you uh, when you have deja vu. That's a that, yeah, it's a glitch. Yeah, a glitch in the, in the source code. Something <laughs> uh, something hit a little bug there. But but what uh, what reminded me of that is I saw a movie over the weekend, which would not typically come to the top of the list of speculist type movies. But have either of you seen Atonement? No. I have not. No. Okay, so I don't Sorry. give anything away. <laughs> But <laughs> we're giving not much away at all. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to give anything away except to say that atonement deals with some of those same kinds of issues in its own very, very different sort of way. So I, I, I don't want to. Uh, well, I'm very much looking forward to seeing that. That's something, one of the things at the top of my list. Well, I think I think you'll enjoy it. PJ, have you ever read Doris Lessig? Have you ever read The Golden Notebook by any chance? No, I haven't. Because that was the book that really uh, brought to mind. And. Now, I would talk about the trick that Lessig pulls in The Golden Notebook, but if I talk about that, then, then I'll give away what happens in Atonement, so I'm not going to. I'm not going to talk about it. But. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I, I just know to go see it. Phil, what, I, I wanna, if it's okay, I want to switch gears. Uh, what do you think is the biggest uh, tech story of the year? I mean, uh, if you had to just choose one. If I'm going to choose one, uh, can, can I'll be up to you too, PJ. Can I, if we can do it by categories, that's going to be easier. But yeah, I agree. I, I would say that. Um, yeah, pick a category and go with the biggest one. Okay. Well, my uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and spoil the suspense on my new better all the time coming out. That my my number one story that I picked for the year was, uh, and it's also uh, one of our finer moments on Fast Forward Radio, was um, Dr. Jing Sui and the work that he's doing um, fighting cancer using the immune system. And I guess actually probably the, the real breakthrough and the real story is yet to come when he, when he completes his, his human trial. But for me, um, the progress that he has made is uh, just one of the biggest stories of not just sure, here but of all time. It's, <laughs> and I don't think anyone is any more surprised about it than, than Dr. Swee. Well, exactly. That's one of the things that made <laughs> the whole thing so interesting was just talking, talking to him about the experience he went through in finding himself in this position of being the guy who's curing cancer, who had no expectation of ever being that guy it's uh it's just an amazing story and i would i would pick that one uh as uh the, the one that stands out in my mind the most well and and uh you know i'm just blown away by what he's done and i and and hope that uh um you know that it turns out as, as promising as what he's done so far but i mean i guess we should kind of review real quick what he has accomplished so far well, today, he's done it in mice, and now he's doing he's doing human trials. Is that right? That's right. Today, what he has done is he has he has bred a strain of cancer-proof mice, mice who can't get cancer, uh, who if you inject them full of cancer such that it would kill a normal mouse, they just brush it off and they and they don't have cancer anymore. But more importantly, if you give a normal mouse uh, who has cancer a transfusion from these mice, um, their cancer is cured. He's taken that same principle applied it to uh, human white blood cells. And, and, he's, and he's basically, he's found some people that fight off cancer. He, he has, in fact, identified, um, yeah, some, some strains of, uh, I can't think of the word now, but it's within the, within the white blood cells that are resistant to cancer along the same lines that, um, that, that the cancer-proof mice are, not to the same extent. It's not as uh, 
dramatic and clear-cut a absolutely cancer-proof as it is with the mice. But in test tube has now uh, demonstrated that these immune cells will kill cancer. Right. So, so the, uh, the the test that he's working on doing now will be transfusions into um, from uh, subjects who seem to have this immunity to cancer to cancer patients who. Uh, uh, you know, with various types to, to see if, we, if, if the effect will work with human beings the way it has with mice. So that would all, be a remarkable. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It's going to be huge. We're, you know, fingers crossed on that one. Well, I, and I, I can't argue with that. I think that that's, uh, as far as, uh, as biotech goes, that's the big story this year. There's, a, there's another one that comes in a close second, uh, and that is uh, the story of taking hum, human uh, skin cells and making basically embryonic stem cells. That's out of what them. I would have said as well. Yeah. yeah. And and that development, I mean, obviously that renders the whole problem uh, of the shortage of embryonic stem cells, provided that they can, you know, it, it comes to fruition the way we hope. Then, you know, obviously we'll have all the embryonic stem cells we need, and uh, there won't be any reason to argue against it. You know. Well, certainly I, the, the problem becomes, of course, if in fact it, it performs in the same way that the embryonic stem cells have. I was actually going to say stem cell research in general because there's been a lot of amazing research this year that's come out with specific organ replacement, you know, where they've been putting cells into organs, tissue systems, and it's grown into heart muscle, uh, liver muscle, etc. Uh, not liver muscle, of course, what am I saying? Liver tissue, et cetera. Um, that I've, uh, to sort of put it all together and all the fronts that they've been developing in regards to some stem cells has been extraordinary. This year has just been unbelievably fruitful. But I, I, I do hesitate to say that this is going to be the thing that stops us from using embryonic stem cells because I just, again, I don't know if we know enough about that yet don't know if we know enough uh, that these stem cells can do all the same things that embryonic stem cells can do. And, and, and I hear that same caution uh, uh, with the scientists. The, yes. they, they want this to be the answer to this problem, uh, you know, really. Uh, but at the same time, they don't want to say, okay, well, everybody can relax now. Exactly. Um, we've, 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 we've solved it. Um, but you know, I, I, I have uh, this. This is the sort of thing that's already been duplicated in more than one lab. It's not just one little isolated case, and so I'm hopeful that this is this solves that problem, and and we can get on with our testing. Uh, we'll and we'll have enough embryonic stem cell lines to to do the testing that we need to do. And so, well, it will be very exciting to see where this goes, and to to see if if it if it does pan out. The the reason potentially that this could be. If if these cells turn out to be, I mean, the the, the term the technical term is pluripotent. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Pluripotent cells that um, function the same as, or essentially are the same as uh, embryonic cells. Of course, the, the the big step forward here is that everybody gets their own. Right? You you, you don't have to worry about a genetic match. You would you would have your own stem cells that would be that would be used in your own treatment. I, I think that that's a just an enormous. Uh, step forward in embryonic, or excuse me, in stem cell treatment generally. Yes, exactly. Um, that, uh, yeah, it's, it's well, extremely um, exciting. Matt uh, comments here in the uh, chat room, uh, our friend Matt uh, comments saying that, you know, this is uh, approaching in real life what Dr. Uh, Wang uh, claimed to do back in 2004, it's which true. turned out to be a big lie. But, 
Yeah, that's. Uh, I think one of the reasons that we believed it, uh, and, and I say we, I mean all, everybody believed uh, that he had accomplished it, was because. Yeah, but especially you. Yeah, especially <laughs> me. Yeah, I was the. I was the big dope, but uh, yeah. But of all, the, you know, the reason we believed it is because we knew it was getting close. These these developments were coming along, and and uh, and so why not him in in South Korea? Well, it just turned out not to be true, but which is a shame. But you get these you get these false dawns sometimes, and and yeah. then and then the actual then the real thing happens. Show up, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, other fronts. What uh, what are some of the other big uh, developments that have occurred this year out of biotech? Some of the other areas that we look at. Well, I, you know, I'm I'm big on energy, and and we had a great, great. Uh, well, I wasn't I wasn't part of that show, Phil, but uh, uh, you got you got to talk to uh, uh, Dr. Zubrin about uh, uh, about energy. And right. Was, well, it, now if we're if we're doing if we're doing a recap of best of uh, best of uh, fast forward radio, that was definitely one of our one of our finest hours. I think that. You know that first show with PJ was probably our best show. Of the yeah, that's no Uh-oh. doubt. <laughs> She's not going to let us uh, just. Top blow. three would have to be PJ, Doctor Sweet. No, no and, log rolling are allowed, guys. And, and Robert Zubrin. Um, well, we had a lot of fun though, PJ, and we're glad that you had as much fun, and that's why you're back with us. Exactly, yeah, likewise. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, very exciting. Uh, very exciting time with uh, with Doctor Zubrin. You know, I had him on the show. Um, primarily because I'm so interested in his ideas about Mars. And so it's like, okay, hey, sure, I'll read your book. Let's have you on the show, thinking, well, we'll get, off, get him off this energy kick and we can maybe talk a little bit of Mars. And, of course, I don't think the word Mars was mentioned. In that I, yeah, when I introduced him, I said Mars Society. I mean, <laughs> that was it. That, that was, it. was as far as it got because yeah. there was just so much to be said on his ideas about what we can do to uh, break our dependence on um, uh, imported oil, to break our dependence on oil generally, um, to introduce uh, new means, new technologies for for powering uh, vehicles. To uh, this is this is where it gets really exciting for me. To uh, open up markets for for uh, third world agricultural products. It's it's a it's really an astounding vision that that he presents in his book. It's just uh, it, it's it's um, it's just one of the more exciting sets of ideas that I've come across in some time. And the beauty of it is that it hinges upon uh, using a known technology, which is flex fuel technology, and applying it um, to, to new vehicles that are built in this country that are, or that are sold in this country that are, that are built elsewhere. And it's, it, it's, you know, compared to just about everything else we talk about, this is an extremely simple thing to implement. It would, you know, I mean, there would there would be some overhead involved, but compared to almost anything else we talk about, this would be one of the easiest things that could be done, and yet it could make a tremendous difference for us. Right. And and flex fuel. What kind of fuel would you use? I mean, you, you could obviously still use gasoline. Yeah. Well, the the, the beauty but, of the flex fuel system is that it, you can drive a flex fuel vehicle up to a pump, and it doesn't matter what the, it doesn't matter what you've currently got in your tank. And it doesn't matter of these three things, gasoline, methanol, or ethanol. It doesn't matter what that pump's putting out. It can be That's putting brilliant. out any yeah. one of those three things or any combination of them. And if you've got, say, you've been running gas in your tank and it's half empty, or half full, excuse me, this is the speculist half full, <laughs> um, and, and uh, you, you drive up to a tank that's, uh, that's pumping methanol, you, yeah. pump the, you pump the methanol in there, now you've got a tank that's half gasoline, half methanol, a flex fuel car will drive with that just fine. Yeah, 
That's I love the idea that you can take biomass and garbage and all the rest and turn it into fuel. I think that's fantastic, getting rid of what we would normally use as waste. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and in fact, that one applies, you know, there, there are definitely ways to, to uh, move towards ethanol and methanol with that, but the really exciting biomass application, I think, is going to be biodiesel. And, Stephen, you were writing about that just this week, I believe. Oh, yeah. Um, and biodiesel bio is exciting because we can grow our, we can grow our own, you know, and it's also diesel engines have gotten so much cleaner and more efficient. You get like 74 miles to the gallon now on, hmm. with uh, these new VW diesels that are they're selling in Europe now. Uh, you know, 74 miles to the gallon of diesel, and they, and they say uh, because you go so far on a single gallon of diesel, it it's putting out less greenhouse gas per mile than uh, than a hybrid Prius that's running on gasoline. Um, wow, and that's so, amazing. And, 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 you know, my thought is, well, that's great. Okay, now what we do is we take that super clean diesel engine and make a hybrid out of it. And then um, while we're at it, let's get the batteries uh, uh, that it requires to make it a plug-in. So we can run off the grid. Uh, we're running with uh, diesel fuel that perhaps we're growing ourselves, biodiesel, um, and they're so clean uh, that you know that they're, you know they're not putting out much uh, greenhouse gas, and you're getting 74 miles to the gallon when you're not using electricity. That would be probably about as clean as you could possibly get. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, and in you know in your daily commuting, you might not even engage the diesel engine. You know, absolutely. Uh, well, and the great thing is there. A, a, a vehicle that burns diesel will burn either standard or bio. Is that right? Or, that's right. That's yeah. absolutely right. So you have this option of, you know, if biodiesel is available, you can pump that in. If it's not, then you can use you can use regular diesel fuel. Just the idea of having choices right. is huge, and we really haven't had that for powering our cars ever in, in, our, in our lifetimes. And it's something that it, it, you just sort of see people kind of waking up now and going, you know, why aren't there, like, multiple ways of doing this? And why, why don't we get a choice? You know, I mean, you think about um, you have a choice of whether you're going to have satellite or cable, right? You know, whether, you know <laughs> what kind of phone system you're going to you know, what kind of computer. You know, there, there's, always, there's always multiple choices for everything, but, uh, but we're, we're very tied into one way of powering our vehicles. And what's exciting about these kinds of ideas, you take, uh, you take a diesel hybrid, and suddenly, well, the fuel can be this kind of diesel or it can be that kind of diesel. And if you're running off the grid, that power can come from a lot of different sources. So suddenly a, a whole lot of choices have been introduced where, where there were none before. Well, I love how also the other choices are, are becoming, because things are becoming cheaper, you've got the whole idea. You know, I don't know if you guys know this, but we sold our house this year with plans to buy another house here in our town to either greenovate the house or to build a green, eco-friendly, sustainable house. And I live in a community that is filled with sun and filled with wind. We have more sun and wind than we know what to do with. And it's ludicrous that this entire town isn't run on solar and wind power. Yeah. Finally, people are are manufacturing solar panels at a cost where we can actually start installing them and justify it relatively early in the process as opposed to saying, well, you know, 10 down, years down the line, I'll have broken even. Um, right. Well, and, and that's the thing. Uh, you don't, when, when uh, solar gets to the point where, and it 
apparently just now this year. This is a big, huge thing. Solar that's, has gotten that's to the point. That's why I bring it up, exactly. Yeah, just this year. It, it, and, and really within the last couple of months, they've started selling uh, solar panels that are cheap enough that you're, um, they, they compare favorably with grid power. And so that you don't even have to be a, a green, particularly green, to think that's, that's great. You, you, the green you could be concerned about is money, you know. And, uh, and and still want to install these things on top of your house. So that's to me that's that's awesome that we've right, reached that point. Well, and the state of California, I don't know if you guys know this, passed this thing called the Solar House Initiative, um, where they hope by 2010 to have installed a million solar systems in a million homes. Uh, and this includes new buildings. And it was fought vociferously by the development lobby, who didn't want to have to build homes with solar units. What they discovered is once they started building them, even in these enormous communities you know, built, built by the, you know, the KB Homes and Eli Broad and things like this, um, these houses were going for premium. People were willing to pay. In, in this market, in this downhill real estate market, people are willing to pay more money for solar homes. You know, and, and that should be logical because you see that what people will pay for a hybrid compared to the, the same amount right. of functionality you can get from a car and, and, and pay a lot less for one that, that doesn't have electricity in, in, involved. But and it's not, everything's and hindsight, I guess. On oh, that. absolutely. And what's fascinating, though, is, is these are homes that I would say these are classic middle-class homes. These are not, um, you know, for many people, the whole hybrid phenomenon was something that, for some people, it, it seemed relegated to those who could afford to be green. You know, green was seen as something that, well, you know, you know, you're rich, you can do this. Right. The point is to make it not about being rich or not rich. The point is that it should be at the same price so that it's an available option. You know, people need these options. Absolutely. My, my brother, I've got to get him on this program. He is a home builder, and um, he, is, he has found that in this down market that green sells. And he, he says you have, to be, you have to show good judgment in what you put into a home. Um, you could make the greenest home in the world, uh, but it would cost a million dollars and nobody would buy it. And so you have to, you have to make the right decisions. And so, he, you know, he, he, you know, he double pane windows, obviously he's using the uh, most up to date insulation, you know, the high and, and, um, and also, he's using tankless water heaters. He says that's, it's amazing how much uh, energy you can save with that. I had those when I lived in New Zealand for seven years, and they were the greatest invention. When we first moved back to the States in 2000, I tried to – we were renovating a house then. And I was trying to find one. For love nor money, I could not find one. And last year, I went to the um, Greenhouse Expo, Santa Mon the city of Santa Monica, every year does it specifically for architects and builders. It's really not meant for the general public to encourage them to use um, green materials. And I practically danced down the aisle when I saw <laughs> three different companies who now have the tankless water heaters. They're genius. Well, you, you can run you can run your hot water forever, and it's not, and as long as you want hot water, you got it. You never run out of hot water. It's insta hot. It's yeah. It's, yeah, it's fantastic. But you're not, you're not sitting there heating water that you're not using exactly. at three in the morning. Exactly. And think about this: you can't run out of hot water. That's right. And and even though you won't run out of hot water, you're still going to be saving energy. I mean, talk. This is the 
ultimate technological win-win. Okay. And That's in right. earthquake country like where I live in, you don't have the issue of, oh, my God, you know, strapping your water heater down. And, you know, you practically have to have uh, an entire uh, seismic room for your water heater nowadays um, because, of course, you know, the gas lines and everything else but, um, and, and the problems of, of leaking water heaters. Uh, yeah, so all of that it disappears. Yeah. And and uh, it's it's just it's a wonderful technology, and you save a lot of money that way. And so, yeah, he he's got the, he's got like a, you know this smorgasbord of things that he does, and he he's you know he's weighted a number of ways, and to the point that he's he's got it kind of down to a it's it's both art and science to build uh, the right amount of green into a home that it'll sell, but you know and it sells at a premium too. Exactly. Well, but it sounds like the point is get him out there to Southern California, and they'll buy him with the full uh, the, the full million dollar package. That's right. He could probably make a whole lot more money out there. <laughs> hey, can sure. I talk to your brother? <laughs> yeah. yeah, we'll get him on the line with you sometime. That's right. Yeah, yeah, if he's listening, I think he'd be interested in hearing about what's going on out there. Oh uh, yeah, I'm sure he would. Um, how is the real estate market holding up out there? Because I mean, this is really a national. Uh, you know, the real estate market has gone down nationally. I guess it's a California. If you're, if you're talking about statewide, we're definitely having serious problems. Um, but there are, of course, regions which are buffered. Um, Northern California, the Bay Area, is pretty is, is definitely got a buffer uh, compared to I think the rest of the state. Um, and traditionally, areas like my community are pretty buffered. It's it's considered, you know, a very affluent community, but even then, finally, suddenly, it's the, the market here is really softening. Um, of course, the fires didn't help. Yeah, right. So uh, the perception that this is a dangerous place to live um, definitely makes things a little dried up. Yeah. But um, it's, you know, we have <laughs> we had an enormous real estate bubble here. When yeah. you really look back at it, the prices it, compared to what people make, compared to their incomes, their ha- housing prices just uh, really, truly, regardless of the nationwide, I don't know how it could have been sustained because who could live here? Yeah. Right. And nobody could afford to live in California and the way things were going up. Right. You know, and forget about you know our taxes and everything else. That's a whole other story. Um, but <laughs> yeah. but given you know given real estate prices, I, I don't know how it could have been sustained. Well, I guess if there's any good news at all that come out of the bubble popping is that, you know, once again it might be affordable to uh, to, to come to Southern California. You know, right. you know I mean, <laughs> now uh, that's the bright side. Uh, there, I'm, I'm trying to find it. There it is. <laughs> normal normal people might uh, one day be able to afford to move there. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. that's great. Or you know, maybe people can go back. You know, because we we had a huge influx of Californians uh, into Colorado. Um, for precisely that reason, I, I think the cost of living got so high, but you know, real estate and other things, that you just you, you had this huge influx. This was probably more in the late '90s, um, in the early part of the 21st century, and uh, just this this constant barrage of Californians moving into the moving in, into the Denver area. And, and you know what they did? They shot our uh, real estate prices up too. So that's interesting. Now that they all move back to California. We'll have. Uh, uh, some kind of double rebound crash, but hey, these are kind of pessimistic uh, thoughts. Let's. Well, see. my question is, did you have did you have signs up to say Californians go home like the people in Oregon have? No, I mean there, you know, there there are people who do that, but um, I wasn't born in this state, so uh, <laughs> I don't feel that I'm entitled. My daughter was, but I wasn't, so I don't feel that I'm entitled to take that kind of stand. Nor would I. Uh, you know, I I uh, I 
some of my best friends are from California. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> I feel better now, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's 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 look ahead now. Let's talk about 2008. Let's talk about 2009. Let's talk about 2029. What do we see coming in the next year? What are we looking for? Big big development that you'd like to see happen in the next year, or just any big development that you're looking for in the next 10 years, next 20 years. Uh, and Stephen, not to put you on the spot, we'll start with you. Go. Okay. <laughs> not to put me on the spot. Well, my, my, I, I'm really excited about about the energy future, and and I, 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 you know, Phil, I don't know if you buy into peak oil or not, but I think that there is a certain amount of oil on this planet, and that eventually it will, you know, we'll use it. Right. At least the at least the oil that we can access, we can get to, and um, you know, at what what point. Does you know do we start having a problem you know getting moving around? Well, I think that you know the Stone Age is over, but it's not for lack of stone. Okay, mm-hmm. I, I believe that we just move on to be, uh, to better things, and I think that we're beginning to see glimmers of some of these better things. And um, I think for for long distance traveling, we're we're going to use liquid fuel of some kind or another, but I think we're going to grow a lot of it. Um, I, and for short distance traveling, I think we're going to be electric. And I think that's going to happen with in, in, in a short period of time. Um, and I, I think the things that are going to enable that are going to be things like uh, cheap solar cells that we can uh, either put on the roofs of our houses or garages, or even on the cars themselves, that uh, will uh, you know produce enough power at a low enough cost that it makes it worthwhile. And, and it's going to be batteries or capacitors or you know other ways of uh, storing that energy uh, to to go down the highway with. That's you know I see that as a big big deal. Um, the ability to get around and move things around uh, ourselves and, and goods and service you know things like that. That's extremely important to uh, to our our economy and to the world economy. And so the ability to do those things uh, is extremely important. And uh, and so. I think that that's it, we're going to find ways of doing it, and uh, that are going to be cheaper and cleaner than what we've been doing. And so I'm excited about that. So I guess that's these, it. These uh, portable nukes we talked about, the Hyperion uh, type idea, is one of, one of the better all the time uh, pieces that that'll be showing up in that. I, I hope we start seeing when, that. When do you California. think we'll see? When do you think we'll see one of those showing up somewhere? Well, I think they've already they've already started shipping some, and I, and I think what you're going to see is like uh, first, the first places they're going to, going to try this thing is probably remote sites, you know, uh, you know, some some place where they're you know trying to uh, extract uh, oil or something like that out in the middle of nowhere, and then they do, they need electrical power. Well, they'll try this, you know. And when it works out well, then they'll try to other places. I'd love to see, you know, PJ at, uh, picking on your state. I, I'd, I'd love to see California because they, you guys are willing to try new things, you know, um, you know, to have some test communities and see if this, how well this works. And uh, I don't know, you know, I, I, you know, I don't know if the green guys will buy that out, out in your state, but it's, yeah, I have a hard time picturing California jumping on a, you know, they like to try new things. I don't know if they want to try new nuclear things. <laughs> yeah, we do have issues with nuclear power already. Yeah. Um, so it, that that you know, it's quite politically divisive. Um, so I'm, I'm maybe we'll try Nevada first. I'm, yeah, there you yeah, go. Now they'll really try anything. Well, they will really try. I mean, they're, they're already you know all nuclear and, and 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 irradiated anyway. So. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> exactly. They're, they're already toasted. They need the power. <laughs> <laughs> you know, 
of course, they got Hoover Dam right there, so I don't know how much that. I think most of that power gets shipped to California. Well, there you go. And so maybe maybe they can ship that power to California and try nukes for their for their home power needs. Well, you, you mentioned peak oil. One one thing I, I did want to pick up on that one scenario from from Zubrin's book. One of the one of the great reasons for going flex fuel is that should should peak oil turn out to be a true scenario, and should it happen like next year or in three years or something like that. We have the capacity to, um, I mean, it, it, would be, it, it would be fairly straightforward for us to start making methanol out of uh, coal, right? If we were just looking for a stopgap, hey, there's no more oil. We gotta, we, and, until something else kicks in, we've got to power our cars from something. Yeah. Um, so it, it, would, you know, it, it would be great if cars were already set up so that they could run off that if, uh, if, if we actually end up in a situation where, where that happens. And, and I just wanted to throw that out there. And, and, and it wouldn't take much to just mandate it. Uh, all cars are flex fuel. And it wouldn't really, uh, all new cars that roll off the assembly lines, it wouldn't be that, uh, it wouldn't be that expensive per, per car either, according to what Zubrin was saying. Is that right? That's exactly right. We're talking about a modified fuel injection system. All cars have fuel inject- injection systems now anyway. So it's not like we're saying, hey, you have to have one. Everybody has one now anyway. It's modifications to that, and it's modifications to the fuel line so that it will accept uh, uh, alcohol so that that won't eat it up. Yeah, Actually, it'd be, it'd be modest even compared to the requirements that the, the president just signed off on, what was that, week before last. Um, yeah. Even compared to that, it would be a fairly modest set of uh, changes that would have to occur. It would be a whole lot cheaper than, say, a driver and passenger side airbags was, and we mandated that. So, um, yeah, it, it, to me, it have, you know, that would be a good thing to go ahead and do so that if that bad thing happened, then we'd be ready. I think that's an absolutely great point. Yeah, I'd like yeah. to see that happen. Okay, let me give my scenario now. Yeah, go for I'm, it. I'm going to stick with, uh, I'm gonna stick with my, my, my big... Uh, my big development for the year, which which was cancer, and I wanted to point out another one, which which will also be showing up in the new better all the time. Is it was a big big story when it showed up, and then it's kind of gone quiet. We haven't heard much about it, but this drug DCA, which is actually um, patented many years ago, and, and I think it was for people suffering from some kind of motor coordination problems. It, it was it was not developed as a cancer drug, but these initial tests showed it. Killing just all kinds of different cancers in a, in a in a petri dish. It's it's not a patented medicine. There's no patent on it, so um, it's readily. Nobody important. wants to touch it. Well, <laughs> no, it's, the, the, it's public domain is the point. Yeah, so the patent belongs to the expired. So that the pharmaceuticals right. can't make any money off it. Yeah, right. exactly. That, that's your point, right, PJ? Exactly that, yeah, right. there's no yeah. money to be made. But yeah, what, nobody, what nobody, yeah, nobody wants to touch it from a business standpoint. Of course, exactly. they want to get their hands on it from a from a from a medical standpoint. Um, so yeah, it'll be it, it, it'll be slower to implement something like that, or even something like what Dr. Swee is talking about, just because there's kind of a cancer industry in place now. There, you know, we we, we have uh, in in the same way that um, it, it would be hard to just cure diabetes because uh, there's there's kind of this diabetes industry in place, and and the companies that are making money off that, there's nothing particularly in it for them to uh, to, to to go to go to make their market there. disappear. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, what is what, how exactly does this operate? Remind us, Phil. Well, remind me because it's been a while since we talked about it. Well, I, I'm not sure. Um, I, I'm not sure how it would be delivered. I think it's an injection, but it's a uh, it's a drug called dichloroacetate. 
Um, and actually what it's been used for is to treat uh, metabolic disorders. But some scientists, I think they were in Australia, started, uh, I, don't, I don't know why. Canada. Uh, Canada, yeah. Oh, excuse me, Canada. Um, started uh, applying it to various uh, cancerous tissues and discovering that when you, uh, this, this stuff in cancer just don't mix. It, it, uh, it seems to wipe out cancer quite effectively and a lot of different kinds of cancer. So... By one route or another, you know, that's, uh, that's a great hope for the future. By well, one route or another, cancer is gone in five years. How about that? How well, about I, that I, don't think, I don't think, I don't think it will be gone. Here's what I think. Okay. Give, give us five years, and I think we can see ourselves well on the way to having cancer be something that's handled about the way diabetes is now. Okay. You know, it's something a we chronic do. condition that we just deal with. Yeah, that's bad, but we can work with it, you know. And yeah. except for the fact that I think that uh, – um, a lot of it, you know, will be will be cured as opposed to just dealt with. That'll be well. Cured. It's also interesting because we still think about cancer as though it's one disease, when in fact it's probably several diseases that manifest in a similar symptom of the overproduction of cells. That is an excellent point. Yeah. Um, you know, it's the same thing about curing autism. Well, my instinct is that autism is probably has about twenty different. Um, starting points, each one of them manifesting in a kind of behavior or a kind of uh, mental state. But, you know, they don't all, you can't just cure it from the beginning based on one take. Um, I'm fascinated by the DCA because it, it, it really gets down to the cell's metabolic process. And it's such a simple fix, which is what's even more extraordinary about it. But what dismays me is that, uh, because I, I was fascinated by this, because I have a number of, of friends who have had cancer or have it presently, and I was doing some research on it, and the university is actually raising money like, you know, fundraising, mm-hmm. asking people to send money so they can continue research. Right. Because they can't get money any other way. Exactly. Well, I, and in fact, when we had Dr. Sui on our show talking about his treatment, it's essentially us saying, hey, if you're listening to this, here's his website. Give him Write some money. Write a check. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah that, that's, that's what it's down to. But the upside of both of those is that they are very straightforward and fairly simple to implement such that if the, if the research pans out, if we can get the research funded and it pans out, they could be made widely available even without sponsorship from a big uh, from a big drug, drug company, if we can get through this hurdle of, of, uh, of getting the initial research done. That's, right, exactly, and that just needs money. To make happen, yeah, for sure. Well, you know what, we are almost out of time, so PJ, you I, get I to wanted to uh, throw in another thing. Oh, okay. One more area right, that... One more, Steve. One, I'm sorry. One more area that, uh, of, uh, that there's been advances uh, is computer hardware this year. Okay. My, I guess my favorite gadget is probably the iPhone for, for 2007. Now, it's it's a it's a bug. Apparently, people have had their problems with them and and things like that. But uh, I think that that thing is a game changer. Uh, our cell phones will all look very much like that, probably in a few years. Probably yeah. in a couple of years, we'll all be carrying something that looks like uh, very much like an iPhone. Yeah. So that's your that's your prediction. Okay, now PJ gets to give her scenario. For I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just butted in with that. No, that's a good one. No, we, hey, we liked it. Uh, you guys, you guys came up with some very good ones. Um, I would say, well, the area that you know I've always been most interested in is neuroscience, and finally, there's some light finally beginning to dawn on how 
we can use, how we create brain-computer interfaces. And I was stunned when at this year's electronic show, they had the first video game, um, what would you, well, not joystick, uh, but video game controller that was really a helmet you wear that based its movement on EEGs. And what blew me away was this research is still going on for patients who have locked-in syndrome, uh, getting them to be able to utilize computers so that they can communicate um, and, you know, in essence, let out that mind that, that they have uh, great difficulty uh, communicating with. But when I saw that they had a, literally a, a game console that's strapped onto your head, that blew me away. That wow. Was, yeah. That was the moment where, where you go, okay, the neurotechnology, the neurosociety is, is coming. Well, you know, and, and you get to thinking, well, how far now are we away from, you know, Steve Austin? Green Jack. Well, well, you know, I'm thinking about Steve Austin, the, bi- the bionic man, you know, not stone cold, cold Steve Austin, but, <laughs> Steve, you know, We're no, the, the original, the, uh, the guy that uh, had uh, the bionic legs and the arm and the eye. You know, I mean, if you can, if you can control movements on a computer screen with brain, with your brain, you know, with, uh, then why can't you control uh, something that's where your arm used to be? Well, they've, that research, I mean, DARPA has been in that research for quite some time, and, you know, they already have um, uh, primates that have been hooked up to computer consoles where they're playing video games using brain waves. Um, I mean, that stuff's actually been going on for a number of years, and the goal for that is to actually have, uh, for instance, plane consoles where fighter pilots can control everything with their mind because there is that time delay between your brain saying, squeeze the trigger, squeeze the trigger, and your body actually reacting. If you can shorten that to simply the time it takes the synapses to fire, you have that much quicker a reaction time. I don't know if I trust that. <laughs> what if he had just had an argument with his wife before he gets there? <laughs> he puts on that helmet and it's just firing off all over the place. Some some, some delays are, uh, are are good, but uh, yeah, maybe you, you some. can see we're cutting the delay with also. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I'm kidding. I, of course, but depends on depends on the circumstances. That's right. Absolutely. But uh, yeah, it's it's that's remarkable that they've come so far, and it seems like it's overnight. But you know, they've been working on this stuff for thirty oh, years, years, years yeah. and years. Um, so but, how long, PJ, before we're in a completely uh, submersive experience where it's you know the Matrix, right? And not even the Matrix, but just a good like uh, real VR, Second Life with I don't have to like try to figure out the keyboard commands, right? I'm <laughs> thinking it, and it's happening, right? Um, you know. I don't know. If I, you know, I talk to my friends who actually do this stuff. They, like you, are extremely optimistic. And a lot of them say, oh, you know, within 10 years. But I don't know if you've noticed, but it's always, you know, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. It's, <laughs> it's, it's funny how that becomes, some, in some case, cases, that becomes 50 years, 60 years, 70 years. But in other cases, it, it's remarkable how often now it's becoming, you know, you say 20 years and it becomes five years, you know. Absolutely, and and the other interesting thing that uh, we don't realize is because we don't think about the other things that are being developed simultaneous to the developments we're specifically looking at, those things that run in parallel also are game changers. 
to the very thing you think, well, it'll take 10 years. Right. And it may either lengthen that process or shorten that process. You know, computers are a perfect example. You know, we, we think about certain uh, forms of um, medical research and think how much longer some of this would have taken if we hadn't done all the genomic research. That's right. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's – I don't know how people – honestly can can prognosticate and give it a, t- a real honest to god timeline but i certainly know personally plenty of people who are trying to create um real ai independent agents within virtual worlds and <laughs> wow good luck to them <laughs> <laughs> well one 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 of the things we might truly see i mean uh, that we will definitely see is this kind of shortening of cycle times between changes because we've already seen it i mean we've seen it our whole lives but it it seems to be it, it seems to be touching on so many different areas now, and you have this convergence of so many different things being developed at the same time, which I think, PJ, is what, is what you're talking about, and so many different people doing related things that that new breakthroughs just can't help but sort of you know show up when we least expect them. Which well, it's, and it's also the chipping away aspect, which I find so fascinating. It's, you know, every single day I'm reading some kind of science feeds. And when you see the, the, the number of people who are in certain areas of research working uh, simultaneously on each tiny aspect of this research, you have to begin to wonder, okay, at what point does somebody pull it all together? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I have a, I have a question, and, and this might lead into a discussion that might take a little too long or whatever. But uh, well, you know, let me before you say that, let me tell okay. you that we, we've got at least one vote from the chat room that we go the whole ninety minutes tonight. So. Okay, Woo-hoo. well, good. Then I've got a topic that's going to so, take us another throw, twenty minutes throw it out to talk about. Yeah. Okay, technological singularity. Okay, oh, let me let me uh, yeah, let's define what that is. On that. Okay, define what the technological singularity is in the most basic terms. The arrival of people or machines that are smarter than people are today, okay, and and okay, when does that happen? Has it happened already? And I, that's that's another question I have. And um, and you know, Phil, go, you know, I mean, what, <laughs> I hate to put you on the spot, but no, go. Good. Okay, <laughs> when does it happen, or has it happened already? Can I, can I ask a question first? Yes, though? please. I mean, let, let me <laughs> let me throw something just to confuse the issue. Yeah. Define and you you. You touched on it. Define smarter than we are now. Okay. Well, uh, how about smarter than people were born? Let's just, let's say uh, smarter uh, than let people. Me, were, let me throw a term out. Let, let, we let, are let, already smarter than than we were. Yeah, I'm smarter than I was. I get bored. Right now, I can guarantee are all three of us sitting in front of a computer screen. Absolutely. So we have access to an unbelievable amount of information. I can now at any moment find out the answer to most questions that have answers. Yeah. That's unbelievable. That's so remarkable. I, I still I still You know, people at you know, cocktail parties in the nineteen seventies, if you walked up to a conversation and you didn't know what they were talking about, you'd nod politely and act like you knew what you were talking they were talking about. And then and probably you would never know. Phone. Go yeah. on with your life, yeah. But you go on your life and you'd never know. Yeah. And they all went out their iPhone, yeah. and they sit there and go, hey, well, hold on a second, I'll tell you the answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, excuse me, I need to go to the bathroom, and then you come back. And right. <laughs> it's almost as good as uh, in the in the Matrix when you, he dialed in to learn what, how to fly a helicopter, you know. Yeah. 
<laughs> just, it's not quite that good, but it's uh, it's getting there. And I, I think that that's that's kind of the point I was making with the with the side question of has the singularity already happened? In some real ways, it may already have because I half half in jest. I I, I told PJ a couple shows ago that. Uh, I, I claim Google as as part of my brain now. I do too. Um, and then you know, and then there's a lot of people, that, quite seriously, uh, that are um, y- using pharmaceuticals uh, to up uh, to up their brain power. Things with like Adderall and Provigil and and different things like that to function at a higher level than you would normally be capable of. And whether you think that's a good thing or not, it's happening. And and you know, and apparently uh, the I, I haven't experimented with these things i don't know but apparently it works well enough that uh that people that people are doing it all the time so oh, look i've never gotten past caffeine yeah but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, that's the old one that everybody uses exactly everybody but uses I, that one. and i can actually confirm that i write better on caffeine um mm-hmm. but i i am fascinated by the idea that we have already improved ourselves you know, again, it's that idea that it's a continuum. But also, at what point, there has to be, as you guys call it, the game changer. There has to be that moment where either the individual or the machine is so intelligent that it's making discoveries at such a rapid rate that it's the rest of the world that isn't catching up. That's as... as does there have to be a moment, PJ? Does it have to be a moment, or does it have to be a continuum where it, we just sort of slide into this thing called the singularity, where it's it happens like you know, well, the real, you know the whole thing—you put a frog in water and, uh, right, exactly, and you turn up the yeah. heat. Um, it, it could be something like that, where it happens gradually and it's on us. And we're already in some very hot water here. Yeah, exactly. We've already we've already before we realize that the singularity happened five years ago, and we just realizing it well but but is it a is it is it a quantitative or a qualitative difference i think is, is the other thing you have to look at and 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 let me go back to your original question because the the, the terminology that my friends at the singularity institute use and we, when i was at the singularity summit that they, that uh, they, they they made um a point of saying is we're talking about the emergence of greater than human intelligence right that's, right. The, that's the term they use not uh something smarter than us than we were because because you know, it's like it's like the next level up, right? It, it, to, to your point, PJ, that you can that you can somehow draw a line and say that was human intelligence. Now, now, now this is this, something else here. Here's this other thing. Yeah. Because uh, you know, the the point is, we we can do a, a lot of things a lot faster. But back in the day, let's go back to your 1967 cocktail party. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Somebody brings up, you know, plastics, right? In there, <laughs> talking about polymers or something, and you really don't know anything about it, but you could. You know, the next day or whenever it reopened, go to the public library and you could look up a lot of information on that. And you, you know what I'm saying? You could do what we're currently doing with Google and all that kind of stuff. But did you? Well, well, there's also the issue of the Flynn effect if you buy into IQ research, which, you know, I, I have my issues with to begin with. But the Flynn effect is that we actually have been had a, a quantitative increase of IQ across the board around the world. Over measurably over the last century. Yeah, I think that's probably true, um, and it's probably because we're so much more engaged with information than we were. We have so many more opportunities to be, and it, it, because IQ tests are testing that ability to interact with information, 
fundamentally that's what they're testing. Um, it's no wonder we score higher. I mean, it's no wonder as a species we're scoring higher. It's the red queen thing. You have to run harder and harder to stay in the same place. Right. Um, you know, just to just to compete with your peers. But if there was going to be a qualitative change, if there was going to be a big leap, what would it be? What would it look like? Or can we, we just can't say because that's why. Well, that's the definition the of the singularity, isn't it? <laughs> no, we, we can't don't know. say. It's such the it's the ultimate game changer. Yeah. We don't even know what the game looks like or might contain. After that, yeah. Right. We can say one. Uh, we we can basically say one intelligent thing about what happens after the singularity, and is that is that those smarter beings spend some of their effort making themselves even smarter. Right, exactly. Mm, exactly, yeah. And, because, and, and we know that because we know that's something we That's something we want to do. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that's something we're engaged in. And so if, if we assume, yeah, you don't get past the thing and go, nah, I don't like no, it. No, no, this is good and enough. I'm smart enough You now. start backing out. That yeah. would be really disappointing if that happened, I think. Wouldn't it be a nice idea to be able to, you know, cure cancer before breakfast? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or, yeah. or yeah, to solve that level of problem. Right, exactly. Yeah, and then and then you know, uh and then by lunchtime have done, you know, something like uh personal flight or something. <laughs> you know, yeah, if you're that if you're that brilliant and uh then there's just no telling what what they what what a being that's that smart could come up with. So. But I, I, I sincerely doubt it's going to be the issue of a being. I think again, we have to think at the level of systems. Yeah. It's something that when you're dealing with the amount and complexity of information that whatever it is, be it biological or uh, mechanical, is processing. It's, it's funny. It's interesting you should say it that way. I wonder, are, are you saying that perhaps it could be um, like people interacting in ways that are so close that you know that it becomes in in in, in essence uh, a hive mind or something something like that. I mean, well, there's there's that aspect. I mean, you could you could do and it could be you know it could be an electronic hive mind. It could be a, a an organic hive mind. But when you're looking at some of these problems that we you know I, I joke curing cancer before breakfast, you're talking about problems that have unbelievably complex systems behind them. I mean, the very fact, again, with cancer, that it probably isn't a single disease. It's probably several diseases. Right. Some of them are triggered by viruses or bacteria. Others of them are triggered by DNA. I mean, who, who knows? Um, so if you have something that's so unbelievably complex, can something other than a distributed system solve it? I don't know. This is not my area of expertise. PJ, we have a caller, and, and I'm going to, if it's okay, I'm going to go, go ahead and bring, I'm gonna bring him in. Hi, caller. You're on Fast Forward Radio. Hello. Hi. How are you? Hi. Could you give us your name and tell us where you're from? <laughs> okay. We're going to mute that caller. <laughs> okay. Can these often? <laughs> this, that's the first time we've had a complete... Uh, uh, a complete one that's out out to lunch like that. <laughs> that was fun. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for calling. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> nice thought. Take those you. meds. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Any rate, that's hilarious. Any rate, uh, I'm sorry, PJ. You were in the middle of saying something that was uh, it was interesting, and I interrupted you bringing a caller. So. Uh, no, I just it, it, again, it's the the idea that that these ideas are so complex. Um, is it a 
is it a single cognitive system that's solving these problems or not? Yeah. I mean, it, it, like you say, it could be a, a, it could be a hive mind, or it could be a multiple uh, multiple systems working together. It, interesting. Okay. Well, what you know, what is uh, Wikipedia, if not a hive mind? You know, what are what are these um, social networking communities? They they all have hive mind aspects to them. You think about the blogosphere as kind of a, this enormous uh, sets of, of minds working on. Problems. Uh, although, although the blogosphere doesn't solve a lot of problems, it just creates a lot of yak. Right? I was going to say it talks about a lot of problems. It doesn't solve <laughs> it a lot of problems. problems. Kind of like these podcasts, I guess. Really. No, it's, uh, I, I, I have a, I guess a little bit of a, a doubt of the wisdom of crowds. It's a nice idea, but um, I have yet to see. I, I have yet to see it solve as many problems as I think it it would. Uh, like to believe it solves. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that, I think that's probably true. And in fact, uh, our guest last week, James Hughes, didn't he say something? Yeah, he, he was a he was a, a little bit down on the whole idea, even the Army of David's idea that Glenn Reynolds had brought up. Uh, you know, he he, I, he he in essence said, yeah, we got plenty of Davids now, people that are you know uh, are enabled by the technology, but I don't I don't see them getting together in armies to accomplish much yet. Which is kind of a shame. I, 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 it seems like that there's there's been some good that's come out of the blogosphere, uh, and and uh, I, I I don't know that I agree completely with with our guest there on that, but uh, I can see I, I can see that there's he, he's had some difficulty in uh, getting together you know his group to you know accomplish things I think, and I think that's part of what went into that, but. To be fair, uh, you know, and he, I guess you guys were talking about transhumanists. It is like herding cats, um, <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> got a lot of very iconoclastic, idiosyncratic people um, who have who, who are tem- tend to be smart people. I'm sure. Uh, very, yes, they tend to be very smart people, okay. um, but you know, they <laughs> they're not <laughs> used to being followers, you know, or, 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 exactly or, or, or right. being soldiers. They're they're exactly used to being the right. generals in their groups, and so you get them all together, and everybody wants to be the general. Exactly right. Yeah. So. Well, and there's an aspect of that I think too for the when you look at the blogosphere, um, everybody can you know be the pundit, right? Everybody can be the expert. Nobody has to be the. Uh, uh, the support person who's actually going to go out and implement great ideas. Everybody can be the one, you know, we we, we can all set up our blogs and philosophize as to what the uh, what the grand lofty vision for how to how to make the world work right uh, would be. Although when the speculist does that, that's actually a very valuable thing. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I'm talking about those other blogs. Yeah. Oh well. <laughs> Talking myself out of a job here. We should have stopped at sixty minutes. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. Well, you, PJ, you had said at one point that you were not a techno utopian. I, I think that it's fair to say that. Uh, I, I, I think that's a good way to be. Um, and, and my thought on that is that you know, it, I'm, I'm optimistic about the future. I think we will have problems, a lot of problems in the future that we have to deal with. I think some of our advances are going to create new problems. By definition, they almost have to. Yeah. Uh, when you change things, you get new sets of things you've got to deal with. And and the sets of things we're dealing with, again, it's that, that issue of complex systems. These systems are getting more and more complex that we're, we're grappling and trying to get a handle on. And as we 
interject ourselves technologically into these systems, we'll come up with new problems that we went, oh, my God, I never thought of that. <laughs> Crap. Um, so, but that's, you know, again, I, the optimistic part of me is that that's the nature of the human endeavor. It's what we do. We've always done it, yeah. and we'll continue to do it. And thank goodness, you know, for if the Flynn effect is actually true, thank goodness we're actually all getting a little bit smarter because we need it. <laughs> you know, I, I think that uh, I, I think that techno utopia is in the eye of the beholder. And the, the interesting thing about a, a techno utopia is we currently live in one. Yeah, but, but once you get to one, it it it's real life and it doesn't feel like utopia. Uh, there, there, there's a great uh, example. I think I saw it on. Um, Oh, somebody's blog. Uh, the Economist, what's his name? Uh, I can't think of it. But uh, anyway, he's talking about, uh, in the 19th century, this guy proposed this idea for, for spreading happiness around the world. And his idea was the telephone had just been invented. So what you would do is you would have a symphony orchestra playing all the time. You'd bring you know, musicians, they'd work shifts, and they'd go graveyard. And just 24 hours a day, the symphony would be playing. And any time anybody wanted to, they could dial a number right and it would connect to where this orchestra was playing and you could actually hear music and it would be wonderful so that if anybody wanted to ever listen to some music they'd be able to use this new invention the telephone and they'd be able to listen to the music and you think you take this guy and you show him the world of you know the mp3 player right i mean you forget about radio and everything else right yeah and right. this is this is a techno utopia i mean this is this is beyond his literally beyond his wildest imagining of what could be possible in terms of, and for him, this was, you know, just the ultimate vision of how you could spread happiness in the world would be, to, you know, to make music available to people, and and the way that that has actually happened, but all this other stuff has happened too, right? It's like, yeah, we do have this this great means. For one thing, it hasn't actually brought about as much happiness as we would like. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. I think that's fair. All those suspected teenagers are a perfect example. Yeah. And and the other thing is, you know, there's just a lot of other problems too. I think but our caller was a good example of that. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, oh gosh. The, the the point is, we can look ahead to unbelievably wonderful things happening, and those unbelievably wonderful things ha will happen, but they'll be in a context of a very complicated world where there's still risks. And there's still bad things happening. And but I and do think there is an increase, a, a a proportional increase with risk that comes with the increase in your utopian um, uh, technologies. You know, as it's like anything else, everything can be used for good or for evil. To exactly. sound really melodramatic. Um, so you know. All of these communication technologies get turned around and everyone's spying on each other. All of these cognitive technologies get turned around and people's minds get manipulate, can be manipulated. You know, I'm the first person to say, hey, sign me up for, you know, the brain jack, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I'm ready. But then the issue, of course, becomes, well, hold on a second. Then who am I letting into my head? Right, yeah. What, what happens when somebody else decides to... Yeah, take up residence there. <laughs> Say that caller, right? Yeah, the right. caller, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, so that's so. So, I guess from my point of view, yes, there, there are always positive aspects. There are always negative aspects. The problems become again as the systems become more complex. The negative aspects become scarier. Uh, you know, 
I think nanotechnology is fascinating and, and, and will have extraordinary ability to, to change life for the better. It also has the ability to end life. Yeah. So, you know, I still believe, and yet I am still an optimist. Um, I still believe, you know, we've been dancing this dance for hundreds of thousands of years and will continue to dance this dance of trying to yeah. embrace the positive and mitigate the negative. Two steps forward, one step back. Exactly right. Um, yeah. But it's it's going to take that much more work as we keep on creating more and more technological systems that do these extraordinary things. That's it. You know, good things can happen. Bad things will almost certainly happen, and we've got a lot of work to do. I guess that pretty much... That's so get to work, up. everybody. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we should probably wrap it up now because we're going we're gonna to start losing our, our live listeners if we don't. So. Oh, okay. Well, what do you got? Did you line up some uh, incredibly awesome uh, New Year's Eve music for us? Uh, well, you know, it's funny. We have. Uh, I, 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 can anyone put a number on the uh, on the uh, number of Christmas songs there are? I mean, I, you know, that, at least that's, twenty. <laughs> yeah, I would have guessed that there's probably more than that. Well, the thing, there's about five they play on the radio though, because you keep hearing the same ones over and over. But yeah, there are quite a few Christmas. Songs. Uh, there's just one New Year's song, you know, as yes. far as I'm concerned, and. Uh, and, and so uh, there, uh, we've got, what I've got here for you is a, a professor that's pretty local to me. He's just right down the road uh, at Stephen F. Austin University, Mario Ajero. He uh, runs a great piano blog um, with great piano music on all the time. So he's, it's, it's just him, him playing Auld Lang Syne. So let me, uh, let me go ahead and play that. All right. Well, thank you. Happy New Year to y'all. Happy, Happy New, Happy New, New Year. Year, PJ. Thanks for being on the show with us. Happy New Year, Stephen, to you and your family. And uh, we will look forward to being with you all again on the next Fast Forward Radio. Good night.